of Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every good path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we were looking at the issue of pre-engagement um, examination in which we noted that even though you may be born again, sanctified, consecrated, and have indeed done a stock-taking of issues that may have been in your life for, th for some time and have restituted your ways, there is still one more step. And that step is this pre-engagement um, examination. Uh, in, in the issue of pre-engagement examination, we looked at it as a probing, a proving, a testing, a, a temptation, an investigation, an inquisition. It's something deeper than just a superficial thing. And we, we asked the question, why, why, why go through a pre-engagement examination? We, we looked at two primary reasons. Um, the first one is that God cannot use an untested, unproven uh, man to do his work. He, 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 would, he would empower you to do his work, but before he does that, he has to prove that you are worthy of that. And we saw that, for example, sometimes, you know, people think that, oh, it's only after you have been, uh, that when you have been empowered, that that means that, yes, that's when you are doing the work. No. Adam, for example, in the Garden of Eden, had work to do in the Garden of Eden. He had work to tend it, and so on and so forth. But even within that garden, was the stage set for his examination. For example, God told him that you can eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the midst of the garden. So he, inside that place was what he was supposed to do and what he was not supposed to do. And unfortunately, he did what he was not supposed to do. So for us, there are many things that God would you know, put before us and say, do this, don't do this. Now, what I find very strange today amongst us believers is the penchant that we have for questioning everything that God says we should not do. We begin to look for logical reasons and rational reasons why we should do those things by saying, why is this wrong? What is this? We don't know why, but God has said, do not do it. That should be sufficient for us. Secondly, once you are proven, God is going to empower you. God is going to so empower you that Satan will have to take instructions from you. He will be put under your authority. And so for that reason, Satan seeks very much to make sure that the person that God wants to empower will be disqualified. And how does he do that? He, he, for some reason, I think there's an arrangement between God and Satan that whoever God is going to empower to deal with Satan, God is going to allow Satan the opportunity to tempt that person and make that person to, in order to disqualify the person. But you see, God prepares us in advance so that we will not be disqualified by Satan. Rather, he will approve of us. So we find a situation in which while God seeks to prove us and approve us, Satan seeks to discredit us and disqualify us. Now, it is, it is, it is important that we understand that God prepares us for the temptations of Satan, either through Bible study, through uh, attending service and speaking to us in, in church meetings and so on and so forth, preparing us through events that happen as we, as we study the word of God. He makes it possible for us to uh, put to practice that which we have studied uh, on a regular basis through simple tests that would come our way. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter uh, 5, verse 3 and 4, that we can also rejoice in trials and tribulations because they work for us. 
they, 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 they build in us patience and patience builds in us character and character builds in us hope, hope that does not make ashamed. The, 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 the Lord told Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, 2 and 3, that he's the one who caused them to suffer hunger and then he now gave them manna. He wanted to prove what was in their heart, whether they would obey him or not. And that he said, he, he gave them manna, which they did not know about, which was not food that they understood, because he wanted them to be able to understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that, 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 that God speaks, that is how man lives. Now, when we talk of the issue of um, testing and temptation, with God, when God is testing you, there are always opportunities to retake, to retake, to keep retaking. You will keep retaking. You, or, or you would have observed that there are certain things that occur many times and you find yourself failing and then you go to God in repentance, but those things still come back again so that you can pass it. God keeps passing you through those things because he wants you to be able to pass it well and pass it right. So it's either with God you pass or sadly, and I pray it doesn't happen to anybody, you are considered reprobate. Now let me use, let me uh, explain that because we, we find those scriptures, we find those words used in scripture say except ye be reprobate what does it mean now when a silversmith picks silver off and has removed the impurities from silver the next thing he does is to refine it in refining it he looks always at the silver until he can find his image in this in this when he can see the silver that the silver is like a mirror then he knows that it is it is now sterling it is refined ready for use so he pulls it out of the furnace and he's able to now use it either in those days for a mirror for a cup or whatever it is that he wants to uh, use the silver for now if after removing the impurities he keeps refining the silver and he's not able to find his image in the silver he keeps looking and looking and is not able to then he throws that thing away and says that that this this uh, silver is reprobate that is it can never be refined to show his image. That is how the Lord works with us. The Lord picks us up, refines us. His Bible says that he will sit as a refiner of silver. He will refine us as, as his refining silver. And in refining us, he, will, he keeps looking to see when, when his image is formed in us. And each time he does that, we go through those tests. Now, if in looking and, search, and searching, he does not find his image being formed on a regular basis, over and over again, then we are considered to be reprobate. By the grace, by the grace of God, we will not be thus considered to be reprobate. So when God has passed us through the tests, we have passed or we have failed and then we retake again and we pass and we go on and on and on. And on. At a point in time comes when God says, now, these guys are ready and he will send us into the examination hall with with, with, you know, with every anticipation rooting for us that we would pass that exam. But Satan is seeking to tempt us so, so that we will fail. But by the grace of God, we will not fail, we will pass. Remember, I think we, we, we looked at uh, John chapter 1, 12 to 15, where the Bible says that God cannot tempt you to do evil. So when you have temptation that is coming to you to do evil, know that it is not God that is tempting you. That is Satan. And we also saw that the reason why people fall into temptation is because of what is in them that is lured or enticed to go on and do what they want to do. So it is important that a believer is 
a believer crucifies the flesh. This is one of the crucial reasons why the flesh must be crucified because when the flesh is crucified, there is nothing that Satan is going to bring that will tempt you, you know, to do uh, what it is that Satan wants you to do. It is God. It is what God desires that should be your uppermost. And so, of course, I think we also mentioned that in the last broadcast, that when your desire is the desire of God, there is nothing that Satan can successfully tempt there because the desire of God is not going to be drawn, it's not going to be lured by the temptation of Satan. So we need to seek to ensure that the flesh is crucified and that the desire of God is firmly in our hearts. Now, every examination, whether it's a test or a, a temptation, will require that we have a good knowledge of the scriptures. When I say knowledge of scriptures, I'm not just talking of head knowledge, but an intimate knowledge, an interaction with scripture. The Bible uh, encourages us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that we should study to show ourselves uh, worthy of being approved before God. Now, what does that mean? It's not just doing Bible study, but it means that we should work at the word of God. We should not just work at knowing the word of God, but we should work at putting it to practice. The Bible says that it is not just the one who is a hearer, but the one who is a doer also of the work that is blessed in all his ways. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible makes it clear that there is no temptation that will come to us, that is not common to man, but that God will make a way for us to escape in that temptation if we will look unto him, if we, will, if we will hold on to him, and he will also make it, make it possible for us to bear it. He will not allow Satan to tempt us above that which we are able to bear. We saw, of course, from the example of Job, how God told Satan that he cannot tempt Job above that which is able to bear. So, for example, he told, he told Satan, you can touch his, you can touch everything of him, but don't touch him. And then the second time Satan came, said, you can touch his body indeed, but you cannot take his life. So there's always a limit to what Satan can do, even in the times of his testing, times that he's tempting us and doing the things that he's doing. Now, in the broadcast today, we want to go further, still talking about pre-engagement examination. And I think I mentioned this the last time, that we are going to be looking at one or two case studies. For this broadcast, we are going to look at one case study, the case study of Joseph. And to set us on our way, I'd like to read for us uh, Psalm 105. I'm going to read from verse 16. I'll stop at verse 22. But my advice to you is to read on further so that you can get a fuller understanding of what is uh, what the whole thing is about. Psalm 105 from verse 16 to 22. Moreover, he, that is God, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with feathers. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and test his elders and, and teach rather his elders wisdom read the rest now verse 19 is ex ex extremely important he says that until the time that his word that is the word of joseph the word that god told to joseph or the dream or the vision that god had given to joseph you recall that in, in, in Genesis 39, when Joseph was young, God had told, given him two dreams. One, the first one, he said he was, he and his brothers were, um, binding sheaves 
in the field, suddenly his own sheep rose up and their sheaves bowed before them. The Bible says they hated him. And then he had another dream in which the sun, the moon, and the stars all bowed to him. And he, again, you know, a teenager, he again told his brothers, and the Bible says they hated him the more. In fact, even his father said, are you, are you saying that we're going to, my, myself and your mother will bow to you? What are you talking about? But you know, it was just some things that, those were dreams that he had. But the Bible says that until those dreams came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now, this is what ushers us into the pre-engagement examination of Joseph. First, Joseph had his dream, two dreams rather, as a teenager. He saw himself in a dream where he was like standing in the presence of his brothers and all of them bowed to him. Now, don't forget that of all the 11, of, of all the 12 brothers, Joseph was the second to the last. He was the 11th. The last who was Benjamin was really a baby. He was just there. He was just a baby uh, growing up. The, the, the mother had died. And so he was being raised by maybe I think one of the nurses or so. Uh, he, he was just a baby. So Joseph was the, the one that was considered the youngest, apart from Benjamin, of all his brothers. So, of course, you would imagine that they would be wondering, why should we bow to you, the, the least? The, the eldest uh, person to Joseph would probably have been about 14 years or so older than Joseph. And all of them were much older than him. And he was there, a, a, a young teenager, having dreams that... Um, they, they, they would bow to him. Of course, they were offended. They were angry at him. They, they, the Bible says they could not even speak any kind words towards him. Then one day, his father sent him to go and look after the, to look for the, to look after the welfare, to find out how they were faring because they had taken the, the, the flock grazing. And so it was a very simple task. Go, look for your brothers, find out how they are doing, and then come back and report to me. Now, Joseph had been known in time past to go and rat them out on what they were doing to their father. So, of course, they were not happy with those things that he was doing. Now, the first, at first, when he went, he didn't find them where they were supposed to be. So that would have even been a problem for them, that they were not where they were supposed to be. But something happened. The Bible says that he saw a certain man in the field who now told him where they were. Now, it's very strange, but how could a man tell you, tell you that he is dropped where your brothers were discussing and directed you? Now, I want to believe it may not be, I don't know, the Bible does not tell us that. But when you read of things like this, something should break you inside that this is God at work doing something in the life. So basically, Joseph was being moved to the place where his examination for his life was going to begin. So on the direction of this certain man that Joseph saw in the field, he finally found his brothers. Of course, he would have been happy that, oh, finally, I found them. But brothers themselves, when they cited him, my father said, the, the dreamer is coming. We are going to deal with him today. In fact, the plan was to kill him. But God had more plans for Joseph than what the brothers were thinking. And so some, uh, Reuben prevailed that they should not kill him. Instead, they can uh, just treat him, just throw him in a well. Let, him, let us teach him a big lesson so that he will learn his lessons. While, Joseph was, while Reuben went away to do one or two things, the other brothers gathered and said, look, you know what? We can make some profit from this guy. Instead of killing him and earn nothing, we can earn some money from him. So they sold Joseph to the Midianites, I think for about 20 uh, shekels or so. They sold him off to the Midianites. The Midianites took Joseph to Egypt and sold Joseph to Potiphar. Now, all the while, 
Joseph was going through all of this. He didn't understand what was going on. He couldn't have appreciated what was going on. He couldn't have understood that this was all in the plan of God. But everything was taking him to a particular place, the place of divine service, which was not known to him or anybody. Now, in Potiphar's house, the Bible records that he prospered because, I want to stress this, the reason why Joseph prospered was because God was with him. Joseph was a slave in the house of Potiphar. He had no, he had nothing. A slave does not have salary. A slave does not have income. A slave will just eat what is given in the house. But the Bible says that Joseph prospered in that place because God was with him. So this prosperity gospel that we think is all about having possessions, no, your prosperity is because God is with you. And God can only be with you if you are living as God wants you to live, if holiness is, is your lifestyle, if humility is in your life, if charity is a part of your life, then you will have God living in you. And if God is with you, then you will prosper in whatever you do, in whatever you touch. On the basis of this, whatever Joseph was doing was bringing good dividends to Potiphar and Potiphar himself prospered. Potiphar had an abundance, overabundance of everything because Joseph had come in there. And as a result of that, Joseph was even elevated, was promoted, and made like the head servant. At that time, he was now also growing into adulthood. He was growing to be an adolescent. And as he was growing into being a man, he was handsome. He was young, he was handsome, he was virile. Thus setting the stage for temptation. The Bible records, and I think I'll, I'll take some time to read, uh, to read that portion. Genesis chapter 7, 37. Genesis 37. Let me read from, from, sorry, 39. Genesis 39 from verse 7 to verse 16. Genesis 39 from verse 7 to verse 16. And it came to pass, after these things, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You can see Joseph having God at the back of his mind. The, 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 the will and the joy of God in him was always there for Joseph. So it was. As she spoke to Joseph day by day, please note this, she was tempting Joseph every day. It was not a one-off thing. It was continuous. It was continual. And the tactics kept changing that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. After some time, she would say, okay, don't worry about lying with me. Just be with me. I, li I, like, you. I like your men. I like your presence. Just be around me. I, I, I want to, you know, I just want to be seeing you. You make me happy. And she would be saying all kinds of things to draw out uh, to draw him to, to commit that sin. But he, but he refused. In verse 13, he says, But it happened about this time, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. It's possible that she even arranged for the men, everybody to vanish that day. That she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Talk about fleeing from every appearance of evil. And, and, and in verse 14, he says that, uh, and so it was, verse 13, and so it was, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, 
he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. You can read the rest. Of course, she tells, the, she tells Potiphar the master and says, Can you imagine the fellow you brought in? He tried to rape me. Nobody, nobody believed Joseph. Nobody believed Joseph. Joseph was tried by Potiphar, who happened to be the chief, chief of security for, the, for Pharaoh. And he was thrown into prison. It was as simple as that. But it is important to note that Joseph did not succumb to that temptation. The fact that you are not succumbing to temptation does not mean that you are not going to be imprisoned or you are not going to be treated badly. You know, sometimes we, the, the, we don't understand the gospel and, and the way, it, the, the, way the, the life of the believer is supposed to be. One would have expected, ordinarily that, if Joseph did not succumb to the sexual uh, allure of uh, Potiphar's wife, that God would at least have protected him. But God had a plan. We must always trust God, no matter what it is that we are going through. We must always put our trust in God, knowing that he loves us and that he has a plan, he has a purpose. Now, Joseph was tried, was found guilty and thrown into prison. They could have killed him, but they didn't kill him still. You, you have to wonder, there are many things that you have gone through in life that you could have died, but you have not died. There is, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's why you are alive. And you must never look at it as though when you are going through rough times and think that God has abandoned you. He said, I will never, I will neither forsake you nor abandon, I will neither abandon you nor forsake you. That he will always be with you. So note that. Now in prison, the Bible says that God was with Joseph again in prison and he prospered. It was God with Joseph that made Joseph to prosper. How does a prisoner prosper? So it is God in Joseph that made him to prosper. Prosperity is a different thing that we'll discuss maybe some other time. It's not, it's not a subject for today. But just note that Joseph prospered because God was with him. And so they put all the things in the prison in his charge. Now, about that time, two of Pharaoh's high officers were incarcerated. And you would expect, being in charge of the prison, the way prisoners behave, when a new, prison, a new set of prisoners come in, they try to you know, break them in, Ask them to do this, ask them to do that, and so on and so forth. Not to now talk of a high official of Pharaoh coming in. In fact, two of them coming into that prison. Of course, they want to humiliate them. They want to debase them. They, want, they know that these are their oppressors. They want to ill-treat them. But the Bible says that Joseph did not do that. Instead, he served them. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 40. Uh, chapter 40, verse 4. The Bible says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, that is those, those two officers, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Joseph served them. Joseph made it his, 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 a point to look, to look after them, to take care of them, even though they were in prison. He was not embittered by what all that he had gone through up to this time. He remained humble and was ready to serve. What, what a spirit he had. May, may God give us that, may God allow that spirit to grow within us. Where regardless of the battering, we are not embittered. But rather, we are humble and open to serve as God would want us to serve every time. Now, as these men were with Joseph in the prison, it turned out that one day, he noticed that they were not looking cheerful. Talk about somebody who is caring for other people. He knows they were not, they were not careful. They, they were not cheerful. So he went and said, what is going on? He discovered that they had had uh, dreams. So he told them, tell us the dream. Tell, tell me the dream. 
God will give us, God will give us interpretation. They told him the dream. He gave the interpretation of the dream. And the, 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 the dreams came to pass as, as, uh, how do you say, to the, to the T. One was released, as he said. The other was executed, just as he said. He was, Joseph in prison refused to be embittered. He was caring. He was concerned. He was serving. He remained humble. And expecting that the man that he had uh, spoken well of, who had not been released, would remember him, the man did not remember him. Two years passed. Man even forgot him completely. But like I said, we must always remember that God is a God of plan and purpose. He has a plan for us. He has a purpose for our lives. He is not going to allow us to do, to, he's not going to, you know, just abandon us and leave us to our devices. No, he, he has something that, he ha that he's doing and nobody can really understand it, but he knows everything. Now, two years after, after that man had been released and the man had forgotten Joseph, Pharaoh had a dream and none of his soothsayers could interpret that dream. Talk of a problem that nobody could solve. But God had set the stage. Joseph was about to come out of prison. Now, when this happened, the uh, fellow who was released remembered and said, oh, I remember today that uh, there was this fellow in prison who told us our dreams when we had a dream. And he, 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 was, he was exact. Exactly what he said is what happened. I was released to your service and uh, the, 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 the baker was um, executed. So... Joseph was sent for, and without realizing it, another set of subtle pre-engagement exams were there. In fact, I have discovered, looking at the lives of some people in the Bible, that when you are about to get into what God has for you, the exams are more subtle and very, very, you know, crafty. A, one, one misstep, and you could be out of it completely. So here we are now. In Genesis chapter 41, let's look at it from verse 14 to 16. We'll see the subtlety. And, and I mean, you, you, you will understand by the time we read it. Genesis 41, 14 to 16. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and, and sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Now, that was a very subtle thing. But look at Joseph's answer. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. What a, what, 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 what a man. <laughs> what a man this Joseph was. What a spirit was, that was operating in him. He, even at this point, he was able to give glory to God. It was a subtle thing. But you see, the beauty of overcoming temptation is that unless you live the lifestyle of a truly born-again sanctified Christian, you will always fall into temptation. There are times when God will ask you, when, when God by his spirit will tell you to do some things that ordinarily you should not do. Somebody has offended you and God is saying to you, show kindness to him. You don't want to do it. But you see, if it is in your nature, to not just listen to God, but to do what God says you should do, you will overcome. You will pass such a temptation. A lot of times, Satan wants to tempt us to do wrong things, to do things that God does not want us to do. But because we are set to listen to his spirit, we will always overcome. 
So here, Joseph was able to overcome this very subtle thing. Just imagine Joseph standing and say, oh, <laughs> we thank God for, for, for what he's doing in our lives. In fact, I, 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 I used to have dreams myself, and I was able to give the correct interpretation. And then when your people came to, to you know, they, they came and told their dreams, it was very easy for me to tell the dream. Just tell me the dream. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that we'll, we'll be able to do it. And he would have failed. He would have failed that pre-exam instantly. Satan would have said to God, look at the fellow you want to, you want to give such power to. You know, Joseph had power over Satan. You, you see, because Pharaoh told Joseph that even though I am the head in, 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 um, in Egypt, you are going to be above me. I'm putting everything in your care. In fact, the Bible recorded that Pharaoh knew nothing that was happening in Egypt except what it was that, that Joseph gave to him. In fact, the Bible says that whatever it was that was happening in Egypt, it was Joseph that was doing it. Joseph was not planning to, uh, to plan a coup and to take over from Satan, ever uh, take over from Pharaoh. No, he was content with where he was and he served. Now, so he, the, Pharaoh told the dream, Joseph gave the interpretation of the dream. But there was something else that Joseph did, still in Genesis chapter 41. Let me read from verse 33 to 36. After telling uh, Pharaoh the dream, he now added an extra. He said in verse 33, Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and let him gather all the food of those good years that, a, that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. When Joseph was given this counsel, little did he know that he was given counsel that will save his own family in Canaan. He didn't know. Now, talk about service. He wasn't asking for payment. He wasn't even telling Pharaoh that I can tell you what to do, but you have to promise me that you release me. You know, we, we, the, this, the Bible, the way a Christian operates is not the same way the people of the world will operate. A Christian is expected to, to serve selflessly, not even talking about how much it will be, knowing that God will take care of him. Joseph gives selfless counsel without even talking about what will you give me in, what will you give me in return if I were to give you good advice? No. He was just focused on giving Pharaoh counsel. He knew his job was not done even after giving interpretation. He now needed to give them counsel what to do. Today we have counselors who are charging money so that they can give you counsel. We have prayer warriors who are charging money so that they can intercede, something that they are supposed to do naturally. We have pastors who are charging money to, to counsel, they, they will put a box in front of their office and say that you should come and throw some money in there before you come for counsel. That you should, you should bless the man of God before you can be blessed. They don't know that they are failing tests. They don't know that. They don't know that. There are many people today who are struggling in ministry and they think that, oh, why is it so hard? It seems God has, God has abandoned us. Let me tell you, God has not abandoned you. But Satan is trying to make it very difficult for you struggling. People are going to make all kinds of statements against you so that you will fall. But by the grace of God, you will not fall. You will not fail. You will succeed. Look at verse 37 through to 46 for Pharaoh's response when Joseph gave his counsel. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this 
a man in whom this is the spirit of God? Do you know that people can tell when the spirit of God is in you, even if they are uh, uh, um, unbelievers, they will know that there is a spirit. In, in the case of Daniel, they said the spirit of excellence was in him. They, they recognized the place of the Holy Spirit. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, for as much as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. He never considered himself to be, to, to, to be up for that. If Joseph got a release, that would be good enough for him. He says, in verse 40, you shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without you, without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphneth Panea, and he gave him Zaphneth Pioneer, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And verse 6 it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land. And of course, we know that he went about doing the work of gathering in the year of plenty. Let us, let us note some things. The Bible says that Joseph was 30 years old now. He had endured trials, tribulations, temptation for 13 solid years. And yet, it was not over. Because, number one, you can see the kind of authority that Joseph had been given. And after he had been given such a position, the first thing that some of us would have done would be to look for Potiphar and then Potiphar's wife and sit them before, before and say, now, madam, tell them, tell your husband what really happened. He didn't do anything like that. He went about doing the thing, the assignment that he was given. He went about gathering grains, gathering grains. He was not seeking vengeance. He was not a vengeful person. He had allowed the spirit of God to work a work in him. You can see that the examination of Joseph was thorough. It was not just an exam; It was an inquisition. It was an investigation into he, who this man is, his nature. But alas, he overcame. And now all authority had been put under him. So even, uh, what's his name? Even Pharaoh, who may have been under the authority of Satan, was now, had now placed himself inadvertently under Joseph. And so Satan was more or less under Joseph's authority. After all of this, you would of course expect that it will all be over. But no, even though he had now entered into the service of God, his examinations still continued. You know that his brothers came. And when his brothers came, you would have expected him to take vengeance on them. But instead, he fed them. In fact, he sent them away with their food, with their foodstuff and money in their bags. But he kept one of them behind because he wanted to see Benjamin, his son, his, his brother. And when they brought Benjamin, he, he, wanted, he wanted to reveal himself. So all the things he did, all the antiques that Joseph did when his brothers came, was to prove to them 
who he was. And of course, to see the kind of people that he had become after 13 years. And indeed, that dream that he had, where not just his brothers bowed to him, but the sun, the moon, and the stars, that is the whole world came to bow to Joseph, had indeed come to pass. Because the whole world, there was only, it was only in Egypt that there was grain, and the whole world had come to bow to Joseph. Yet, he remained humble. He continued to serve. Nothing out of two. And of course, he maintained a life of holiness. So, let's go through a few key, a, a few, a few key things here now. Number one, all that happened was known to God. And God had chosen Joseph based on some other pre-engagement examinations. You say, what do I mean? Number one, Reuben was tested. Reuben didn't know that he was being tested at the time. He didn't realize that it was a test. But you know, we know that in Genesis 35 verse 22, the Bible tells us how Reuben went and slept with his father's wife, one of his father's wives. In fact, to, to, to let you understand the, 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 the vileness of that offense, he slept with the mother of his half-brothers. That's a very vile thing to do. Now, would such a fellow not have succumbed easily to Potiphar's wife. In fact, Potiphar's wife would not need to say anything. He would be the one making the advance. So Reuben had failed. Remember, Joseph was the 11th out of 12 brothers. Reuben, uh, Benjamin being the youngest and a, a baby. So he didn't even come into contention here. But look at the situation. It's just like in, when, when um, Samuel was told to go and anoint a king in the house of Jesse. It was the last child that was, that was chosen. God said, I, I, I've not chosen any one of these other seven because I've seen them. I've seen their heart. But that other boy, I've seen his own heart. His, his own heart is okay. And we know that David was not a basket of fruit. But each time he sinned, he went to God in genuine repentance and sought the face of God. Sought his heart was close to God. God said, I have found in David a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So here was Joseph. Reuben had failed. And then if you read Genesis 34, from around 25, the whole of 34, from maybe 25 to 31, there was a time when uh, the, the daughter of uh, Jacob went to visit the people of the land when they were then in, um, uh, in Shechem. And the, the son of the king there, Shechem, I think that's the boy's name, uh, raped her. And, you know, but he said he wanted to marry her. So they went to, just to, to Jacob and the, and the brothers and narrated the story. And they said, well, on one condition that you circumcise yourself because no uncircumcised person can marry from a fold. From a fold. And so they would circumcise themselves. While they were recovering from the sore of their circumcision, Simeon and Levi went and smote the entire place, killed them completely, and took their sister away and spoiled their goods, much to the chagrin of Jacob. Is this Simeon and Levi that you would have put in that kind of a condition? That they will see their siblings come and not kill them. So you see, they had failed the exam. They didn't know they had failed the exam. So it's when God was saying to Samuel that I have seen this one, his heart is not right, his heart cannot do what I want him to do. God had seen their heart, and God had proven them so that you and I can see. Judah's own case came later. When in, in Genesis 38, Judas, Judah Judah had uh, uh, had children, and then uh, he had married. Um, a woman for a girl for his first son that one died because he was it was sinful before the Lord the second one uh, they, they gave the girl to the second one the second one would 
have intercourse with the girl, but would spill the seed on the ground, not wanting to have children by, uh, for, for his brother. And God killed that one. So there was the last child. And Judah did not want to, the last child to die. So he sent the girl away and said, don't worry, when he's grown up, I will send for you so that he, 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 you can have children by him. Now, in all of that anyway, the bottom line is that Joseph, uh, Judah was not interested in doing anything like that. So on one occasion, the girl heard that Judah was going to, sh to, to share his sheep. And so she dressed like a prostitute. And Judah went into her. And, but he had no money. So he gave to her his, his uh, signet ring, his staff, and a goat, as shorty. And said, don't worry, I will send the money to you. When I send the money to you, I will retrieve those things. Now you can imagine a man who would put everything that he has. This is his authority. This is his identification. This is who he, he, who he is. You can imagine somebody signing off his check to a prostitute without putting an amount and saying, don't worry, when I bring the money, I'll take the check back. That's what just Judah did. So Judah himself had failed the exam. We're not talking about the others now. But you know, just to let you understand that some pre-engagement examination had taken place before Joseph was even chosen. The second thing I want us to note is that God is a God of plan and purpose and that nothing happens to his own by accident or happenstance. There's nothing like that with God. Because in Genesis chapter 15, from verse 13, God had told Abraham at that time, he said, I want you to know of a certainty that your, your, your descendants will be slaves in Egypt. They will be slaves in a strange land. They will be ill-treated in that strange land. But when it is time, I will bring them out myself. I don't want them to be, to be, to be soiled by the iniquity of the people of Canaan. So I'm going to protect them. So the famine, they remember in, in, in Psalm 105, the Bible tells us that God called for a famine. It was God that called for that famine. God had known what he was going to do. He had called for the famine and had sent Joseph ahead to prepare the way to make it possible for Israel to come into Egypt as free men so that when they are going out, nobody will be able to stop them. Imagine if they had gone and sold themselves as slaves, like other people had, other nations had sold themselves as slaves to Egypt on account of food. It would have been difficult to get them out because then they would have brought the bill of sale and said, but you, you guys sold yourselves. But they entered there as free men. And so when it was time to get them out, God had to get them out. And God got them out through Moses as free men, even with a mighty hand and an outstretched hand. The third thing I want us to note, still on uh, 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 the, the fact that God knows those things, You've said that God called for the famine. He prepared them to enter into uh, the land and he protected them from the iniquitous lifestyle of the people. That's the, the third thing that we want to note. That God's plan, we may not understand it, but no, I want us to understand this, that God loves us so dearly. He's not going to allow anything to hurt us. Whatever hurt you think you are going through now is so that a worse thing does not happen to you. And so just put your trust in God. Just depend on him. Just hold on to him. Hold on to his word. Remember his word that says he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should have everlasting life and not, and not perish. So remember that. If God loved you enough to save your soul, he cannot now want to destroy you. No, he cannot. The fourth thing I want us to, to, to note here is that Joseph's tests and temptations strengthened him. He strengthened him the more in the Lord. He brought him to the full understanding of God's plan and purpose. In, in Genesis chapter 50, after Jacob had died and they had all moved into um, 
they had all moved into uh, Egypt and they had buried uh, uh, Jacob. His brothers came to him. In, let me read from verse 15 of Genesis chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. You know, a lot of times we think people will do to us what we would have done if we were in their shoes. And that's what they thought, that Joseph was going to do to them, what they would have done. So you can see that all of them, by, by, by their actions, by their words, had disqualified themselves ab initio. And God was proving to us that he did not choose Joseph as a fluke. He knew what he was doing when he was choosing Joseph, who was the youngest of them all, save Benjamin. In verse 16, so they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall, you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sins for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why did he weep? Number one, these people were lying. Father, father would have told him he, himself. He had opportunities to, to sit with his father. Father would have told him, father didn't tell him. So, but here they were, still lying, understandably, because they, 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 their brother was the, the, the highest man, as it were, save Pharaoh, in the whole land. He could, he could, he could, he could do anything he wanted to do, and there's nothing they, they, could, they would be able to do about it. So yes, they were afraid, but there was no need to lie. In verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, behold, we are your servants. You see the dream coming to pass, but... It, 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 it didn't make Joseph to feel so big and so arrogant. No, he continued to be humble. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for, I, I, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Not just them, but their own children to provide a cocoon for Israel to blossom in a strange land before moving out. By the time they were moving out, the Bible records that there were 600,000 men, not counting women and children. It's, it's expected that there were about 2 million by the time you add the women and the children. But they only entered, the Bible says that 70 souls entered into Egypt. In fact, it was actually 60, 67 souls or so. It was Joseph and his two sons who were added to make 70. So 70 souls entered into, into Egypt, but they came out as 2 million after about 430 years or so. God had provided a, a cocoon for them to grow. In verse 21, he says, Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He was not harsh. He was not rough. He was not arrogant. He remained humble. So I want us to know these things, that... When we talk of sanctification, when we talk of the fruit of the Spirit, we're not speaking of something that you just go and memorize and learn. No, we're talking of the practicality of living the Christian life. A Christian life that is not experiential is no, is no, is no Christian life at all. Christianity is an experiential life. It's one in which we live as God wants us to live. And his word is always there to lead and to guide us. Number five, your examination may have taken place already without you knowing it. Like Reuben, like Simeon and Levi, like Judah. They continue to live life on in the land where they were. Whilst their brother Joseph was suffering in Egypt for 13 years, they were living okay. 
living very well. But Joseph was there suffering for 13 years. What does that mean? The fact that you are living well now does not mean that you have not already failed your pre-engagement exam and have been considered unfit for the assignment. And the fact that you are going through a time of trial now, suffering and going through all kinds of things now, does not mean that God has abandoned you and that you are not going to be useful to God. I want us to understand this. Because these pre-engagement examinations have a way of manifesting in different forms. And what happens at the end of the day is that whatever it is that God wants to do, it will be proven that he made the right choice. It is not about, you, 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 you actually may, may be sitting over a church of two or three. Maybe you, ha you had many people and the attendance has dwindled to the point that it is, it is as if nothing is happening. You are going through a test. Just stay with God. Put your trust in him and you will not be ashamed. You may be sitting over a church of a thousand, two thousand, and yet you have been tested and proven not to be, not to be of use to God. And he has just left you there, just continue to make noise with the people you are making noise. I have no use for you. So please, let's be careful. Let's not think that because somebody is jumping up and down and everything is okay, that that means that person is chosen of God. No. There are many people today who don't know that their pre-engagement -examin pre examination had already taken place. They have already failed and they have been packed aside. Remember King Saul. King Saul only ruled for two years before he fell out of favor with God. But he continued to be king for another 38 years. For those 38 years, God was not with Saul. But he was king. So I want us to understand. We, we need to appreciate what God is doing. What is important is that, and that brings us to point number six. What is important is that you live according to the word of God. Don't live according to what you see. We walk not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. That is what the word of God tells us. Follow the word of God. If you live by God's word, regardless of the condition, you will pass your pre-engagement examination. When I say live by the word of God, I mean in every respect, practically. You are going to come across these things in your place of work. You are going to come across these things in your neighborhood. People will abuse you and insult you. What would be your response? Would you hold malice? Would you keep malice? Would you keep hatred? Would you not, when God says, greet this fellow, would you, would you greet him? This is, this is why I keep telling people that your church is your neighborhood. The, the, your, 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 your exam is going to be in that your neighborhood. Because that's where everybody knows you. Don't, don't go to a place where they don't know you and tell them you're a Christian. Be a Christian in your, in your own hamlet, wherever you are. If you're in a community where you share things together, even when people mess the thing up, you, you, be the, you be the person who makes it okay. It is by the word of God, by the spirit of God in you, telling you what to do and you listening and obeying. That is how you will pass your test and pass your examination when Satan comes to try you. And he's not going to try you softly. He's going to try you severely. Seven and the last. I want you to note that even after your pre-engagement examination, Satan is not going to leave you alone. He is going to ensure, because his goal is to make sure that he wrests that power from you. So now you have power. Don't think that that is it. No, 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 no. He's going to keep at it. He's going to keep coming at you. He's going to keep coming at you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, this is what the Bible says from verse 8, verse 8 to 9. It says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, resisting steadfast in the faith, knowing 
that the same sufferings are experienced by your brother by your brotherhood in the world. In verse 10 it says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So don't think that because you have passed a, the, the pre-engagement examination that now you are, you are free. Satan is not going to test you, never. Until you go, until you leave this earth, you will continue to be tested. Particularly, in fact, not especially when it is that God has empowered you and has put Satan under your authority. Satan is, all, Satan is a usurper. He's always going to try everything that he can to, 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 to wrest that power from you. And the only way he's going to succeed is when you stop listening to God. When you start following what people are saying. What people are saying is always in agreement with the flesh. Never with the word of God. Always remember that majority is not necessarily, in fact more often than not, majority is not God. It is important that if you are a believer, the word of God must not be far away from you. Remember what the Lord told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. He said, this book of the Lord shall not depart from out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is uh, 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 contained therein, that thou mayest make thy way, uh, they said then, that, 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 that would have made their way prosperous and then thou would have good success. What is God saying? This book of the law must not depart out of your mouth. What does that mean? It must be in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So it is the word of God in you that must be there at all times. The Bible says, let your, let your speech be seasoned with salt. So we don't abuse, we don't insult. We don't curse, we bless. We must be able to have a grip on our emotions and allow God and his, and his spirit to, sub, to, 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 to take over all those emotions. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. How do you get angry and not sin? Number one, follow the word of God. Number two, don't depend on your, on, on your emotions. Number three, trust God. And more importantly, if you must talk, speak to God alone. Get away from that place and go and talk to God. Don't do any other thing until you have prayed that anger out of your system. Otherwise, you will run into trouble. That is why many respected men of God today are making mistakes, horrible mistakes, speaking out of tongue. Why? They have not submitted themselves yet to the Spirit of God. I want to plead with us. Satan, like a roaring lion, is running all over the place, seeking whom he may devour. He's an adversary. An adversary is an enemy. He's somebody who seeks to attack you. He's somebody who's looking for your downfall at every turn. Don't make a mistake in thinking that because you have passed a pre-examination, pre-engagement examination, that you are going to be left alone. If God permits, maybe the next podcast, we'll look at the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Bible records that after he had overcome his temptation, the Bible says that Satan left him, but for a season. He was to attack throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan did not let him go. My prayer for us is that we will learn the lessons of Joseph. We will have the word of God in our hearts. We'll, have, we'll, we'll study to show ourselves approved. We will live by the word of God every day henceforth. And at the end of it all, we will see the plan, the eternal plan of God for you and I and for the world at large. And until we meet again, God bless you.